And welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome. And I'm Lady Kristen of House McWegelbergino. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 55. On this episode of our series, Rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones, season two, episode four, What is Dead May Never Die. But rises again, harder and stronger. <laughs> um, for anybody who's unaware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. As we do our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones from the perspective of someone who's current on the series. So in December 2017, as we're recording, that means you've seen episodes all the way up to Season 7, Episode 7. So be prepared for spoilers. Warning. All the spoilers! <laughs> yeah, all of them. So let's uh, jump right into it. You want to start or you want me to start? I would like you to start because I am putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my number five is the identity crisis of Theon. And um, we were talking about the character of Theon. I think up until this point in time, his whole story arc has essentially been built around his identity crisis and having to decide whether he's a Stark or a Greyjoy or whether he's a Reek or a Theon. <laughs> you know, everything is with Theon is about his identity and um, coming to terms with who he is and finding himself. So we get him meeting with his father and sister again in this episode and um, towards the end of their discussion... You know, Theon freaks out and he's telling Balon that you abandoned me, that you left me, you you let me them take me away like I was a dog that you didn't want anymore, etc. And uh, he had advised for Balon to pledge fealty to the King of the North, Rob Stark, and to join them in their effort against Lannisters. Yara says to him, "You want your 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 father to bow down to your other family." And he, Theon replies, I have no other family. And she says, don't you? And that sort of is foreshadowing the uh, the season seven discussion that Jon Snow has with Theon. Remember that when they're in the throne room at Dragonstone? Yeah. Talking and uh, Theon's like, I'm, am I a stock? Am I a gray joy? He can't, can't make up his mind. And and uh, Jon tells him, you know, you're a, you're a gray joy and you're a Stark. You know, you're both. And it's okay to be both. And it's okay, and you don't have to make a choice. Um, and just just as as the concept of a choice is, um, he brings up, and Theon's choosing between them, Yara tells him in this episode, you have to choose 
now, choose immediately because our ships are leaving with, with or without you. So he's being pressured to make a choice, pressured to make a choice. Um, Balon's pressuring him, Rob's pressuring him. He's got pressure from all around. And finally, in season seven, he is, he's told he doesn't have to choose. He can just be himself, be Greyjoy, be Stark, be Theon, you know, and he finally is freed from his his mental prison of reek reek ship as we could call it um so we get the sort of the beginning of the necessity of theon choosing who he is in this episode and deciding between greyjoy stark um it will get that whole other ident that whole other dimension of identity crisis when he ends up being with ramsay and being you know having to choose between reek and theon uh, which is escalates the whole identity crisis to another level, which is pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, it seems like the whole story of Theon is all about identity crisis, right? Yeah, I agree. I, You know, it's funny because Theon was my number three, and um, I called it his desire to belong. Um, so it's kind of, I guess, the same thing. And, and I think that you really hit on something with that, with as far as, you know, his identity crisis is, where do I belong in my life, right? right. Like. You know, he is you can see that he's tortured by the fact that not only did his family give him away, but now they don't even want him back. Yeah, he's really tortured by that. Yeah. And he's what does he say now? I've come home and you shun me or something. I can't remember the exact wording. He said but something along the lines of that. Yeah. I mean, it was just really oh gosh, it was sad. really sad. Yeah. He's he's been in a tough position his whole life. Really well, has. and he is he is softened because, you know, yeah, the, Starks, the Starks are a soft people in comparison to um, Pike. In, yeah. in I mean, they're hard, the but in a different way. You know, they're very hard. Um, the Northerners are hard in general, having to deal with the climate and everything like that. But it's a different kind of hard where... Well, um, they're led by honor. Yeah, exactly. They're an honorable hard, whereas the the pirate Rejoice like, have no yeah. honor <laughs> yeah exactly they're hard and and ruthless and mm-hmm. um have just they're not they're not bound by any type of morality it seems drives me crazy just raving or raping and pillaging and reaving and um i just ideologically like cannot get down with the uh, the ironborn <laughs> you know what i mean i agree i i've always had trouble with the gray joys and kind of their place in this world um yeah you know and the one character that you think that you feel for Theon, you know, the minute he decides, like you're saying, to be a Greyjoy, which is this episode, from this point on, Theon completely changes. Right. Yeah, and, that's right. And you hate him for it. Yeah. yeah you know? So yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, I feel bad for him because um, you know, I don't know. It, it it it's that sense of yeah. I can't I I can't put a thing on it. I mean, he. I think that his insecurity is is so valid and it's it's so justified in how he's how he is treated by his family and his sister doesn't make it easier for him either. And yeah. you would think that with her being a woman and her having to work harder for everything that she wants and that she is and that she has accomplished because, um, you know, the, the Greyjoys are not led by women. Women are not a part of their leadership. And yet Yara has made it. 
that she is a leader of these people. And so you would think that everything that she's tried to overcome, you know, in her family, in her life, how is it that she has no connection with her brother who was cast away and he comes back and she just doesn't give a shit? Yeah, she wanted to see who he was, and and she did. Lee. <laughs> oh man, um, and that's interesting too. Uh, as 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 um, masculine and misogynistic as the the Greyjoys and the Ironborn Society is, Balon is actually, you know, as regressive as their their cultural style is. You know, based on the the more base emotions and desires and tactics of stealing and you know just dirty work um balon is actually a fairly progressive leader appointing yara to a like a female to a position of power in the ironborn society and that mirrors renly in this episode too as he appoints brienne to be on his king's guard yeah i i i see yeah but you know knowing what we know about balon um did he do that because he's progressive or did he do that because she was it as far as the Greyjoy name goes? I mean, I think it's probably Yara, a bit of both. You but know, yeah. it has to go to Euron. Right. And you're definitely right there. Um, but from what I see, Yara seems to have proved herself and he seems to really value her. She's amazing. I love yeah. Yara. I mean, I but I've grown to love her. I didn't like her in this season when I right. first, when you first, first watching meet her. her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can appreciate her now knowing what I know about her and kind of, um, you know, the first watch, I didn't do all the research and I didn't know all the history of, of this family. And, and once you dig into those layers, you realize how important this really is. This one aspect of the story is so yeah, I can appreciate huge. it now, given the broad scope of, of the Iron Islands as a whole. So. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to see what happens with Yara, too, as she's currently being held by uh, Euron, right? Yeah, I think that that was more out of necessity because she was pregnant during oh, filming. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she had a baby, like, she was either super pregnant or had just had a baby or something, something Rosita-like, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, good for her. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. To the actress. Not a lesbian in real life. Weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have the short hair either. Um, but yes, in terms of uh, Theon's choice, we actually get to see the choice boil down to a decision in this episode, too, as he as he's decides between mailing a letter to Rob that would expose his father's plans um, and plots to take the North or um, burning that it. That letter would have changed everything. Yeah, or burning the letter and going dark side. And yeah, as you said, that letter would have changed the game entirely. I don't know if you caught everything that it said, but I uh, I, I wrote down what the letter says. And he says, oh, Rob. Oh, good. I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says, Rob, I hope this reaches you in time. My father has rejected the offer and plans to attack the North, raiding the shores and taking Deepwood Mott. Mobilize your army and make for the North before it's too late. I'll write again when I can, Theon. And sadly, he decides to burn the letter like a weakling with no conviction. Somebody. I who's wonder just if being he did that shaped. more because he didn't want to get caught. Like if somebody had caught the raven and oh, then it got yeah. to his dad. It's entirely you know? possible. Yeah, yeah, selling out his family. Right. Yeah, the Ironborn. It's would like not I told react. you. Um, yeah, I watched an article. Uh, I watched a video with. Um, 
you know, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss the, inside the episode, and they were talking about Balon Greyjoy um, and how he doesn't trust Theon. And yeah. I loved hearing that because it gave me kind of another angle on Balon Greyjoy because, you know, you just see him as this horrible human being that is rejecting his son. But at the same time, he lost in Robert's rebellion. He had to give away his son. And now that prisoner is coming back asking for help from the Starks. He has every right not to trust what's being said to him. He has every right to reject it all. And Theon's even telling him, pledge fealty to the Starks. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, when you when you know that it's he's distrustful and you know the history, again, if you know the history of what happened in Robert's Rebellion, then you understand, okay, this guy isn't just a jerk. He's actually really, really wary of the situation and, and his son just reappearing after nine years. So. And you can tell he's even questioning his internal monologue as uh, Theon gives that speech ranting like about how he abandoned him and let him be taken away and how he doesn't even care and when he came back he's just you know being harsh to him and there's a moment where Balon stops right in front of the camera and he's mm-hmm. sort of looking at the camera or towards the the camera and you can just see the pain on his face of trying to come to grips with the situation and and decide what his feelings toward Theon <laughs> really are and it's pretty good. A uh, powerful performance, well, yeah, I'd be- say, for not no dialogue in that moment, <laughs> just facial expressions, and you can read a lot off it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, what Theon's saying is right. Yeah, absolutely. But what totally. Baylon Greyjoy is feeling is also right. Everybody's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's good writing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, so that wraps up my number four, I'd say. Um, I guess, actually, there's one more thing I could say. Was, do you think that's Aaron Damphair out there? baptizing uh, Theon as he consecrates his faith to the drowned god. Well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe. And I don't think they say specifically, but uh, I would assume it would be, yeah. Let's Although they may is. have recast him in later seasons or something. I don't oh, know. yeah, it says in the synopsis his family is being... Um uh, reaffirm uh, ultimately reaffirms his loyalty to his family by being baptized by a drowned priest. Okay, so they don't specify which Mm-mm. drowned priest it is. Yeah, interesting. I liked that drowned priest. He looked, uh, he looked kind of like the actor's name is escaping me, but he plays Bones in the new Star Trek movies. Oh, I've never seen the Star Trek movies. Um, he's also in Lord of the Rings. He plays one of the brothers. Um, I forget which one, but anyways, <laughs> um. He looks like that actor, and I kept wondering if that was the actor, but I don't know. Oh, <laughs> interesting. So what's your so, number four? Well, my, so or my number five, three was, was Theon, so I got to take that, which is great. But um, so I have n- my number five as um, the concept of loyalty versus honor. Nice. Um, so there's a lot of it in in this episode. And, um, you know, one of them is the Greyjoys. And we, we touched on that a little bit with, um, Theon and, and Balon and, and really to me, it's Theon, you know, he, he has this loyalty in two different places, but honor keeps him to try to, you know, and he's, he has this internal struggle of, of loyalty and honor and, and what is he, who is he loyal to and, and who does he honor? And what defines honor? Like what is honorable? 
Right. Does he honor his father or does he honor the people that took care of him? What, mm-hmm. what's, you know, what's the right decision? <laughs> right. And, and both, both houses have different definitions of honor, right? Yeah. What they consider honor to be. I think, you know, the Starks kind of have it, but that's just me. Um, so, but it, when you go to the very beginning and you say John, um, John Snow and, and Mormont, so as, um, you know, John is just horrified at what's going on with what Craster is doing. And he's trying to tell Mormont, he's like, listen, I don't think you understand what's going on here, buddy. You know, and yeah. and honor keeps him to tell, you know, listen, this is what we're going to do. But, um, you know, Mormon is sitting there and he's like, yeah, I know what's going on. Of course, I know what's going on. But that the, moment you know, when we realize that Mormont knows, too, is pretty crazy the, for, for the viewer. Like, oh, shit, Mormont knows about this. <laughs> right. But I mean, he has he has to keep his guys alive, right? right. Yeah. His and loyalty it, for, to his guys. Yeah, he it's has funny. To. It's like for a second, the viewer is questioning Mormont, like, oh man, is, this, is he a good guy after all? And then he explains his position really well. And <laughs> we understand where he's coming from. Right. So you have that. And then you have, um, you know, Tyrion is trying to figure out uh, the loyalty among the small council, which I'm sure we'll talk about later because that's one of my points as well. Uh, Arya saves uh, Jaqen and Gendry at her own great risk. Right. You know, she she does the honorable thing and she stays loyal to um, to Gendry. And that was at great risk. Um, Stick her you know, neck out. Absolutely. Especially since she's supposed to be a boy. And she carries herself and talks like a girl. And <laughs> yeah, she does. As she, and she even says, like, do you want to know about Gendry? And you can see Gendry sitting there going, what the fuck? Like you know? He doesn't then, look scared, though. It's interesting. It's like, huh, she's got a plan, maybe? Like, he's like, huh? Like, <laughs> when he looks over, like, what is going on here? It's pretty interesting. I, yeah, I think, you know, he... I love Gendry. I, I think that he's just like, he's like, today might be the day I die, whatever. But cool. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. just always ready to die, I think. How about Yorin? Um, sorry, no, I, sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off there. Go ahead. No, 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 that's okay. What about Yorin? Just like his death and actions and how epic he wa- uh, was. He was like Bronn's brother, I swear. If he w- didn't say that his brother was killed, I would have sworn Bronn was his brother. Oh yeah, we'll get uh, back yes. to we'll get back to Yorin later. Continue. I hope so. Um, you know, Sansa is is um, you know playing her game, and and she's sitting there and and trying to um, feign her own loyalty to the Lannisters by you know keeping herself alive. And then there's Brienne who has you know who claims her loyalty to um, to Renly, um, and then Catelyn, and then Sansa, and then Arya. Um, Marjorie, ha- you know, she she is really, really big on saying, listen, you know, we're going to, you know, get you through this, Renly. You know, you're the king. I'm loyal to you. I'm going to, you know, remain loyal to you. I don't care that you're gay. I don't care. Let's just do this thing, you know? Yeah, she was awesome. Wow. Um, And then we said Theon. And then uh, Varys and Littlefinger, they have no honor. Well, seemingly have no honor. Right? <laughs> yeah. But they... But they do show that they don't have a lasting loyalty to Cersei, right? Varys is loyal to the realm, and Littlefinger's loyal to himself. To himself yep. And we learn that Pycelle is loyal to the Lannisters. So 
it's just there's like this theme throughout the whole episode of loyalty and honor and yeah. kind of what each character defines it as and what they're doing with it. Good job. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, and that, that part where um, Pycelle is saying, I'm loyal to House Lannister. Everything I did was Lannister. <laughs> you know, that part. That's what I was talking about a week or two ago when I was talk- when we were trying to decipher who uh, Pycelle is loyal to. Yeah, that's actually, Pycelle is uh, one of my points later on. So oh, cool. it's very cool. Yeah. Um, set it for your number, f- number yeah. five. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. It goes right into my number four, too, which oh, is good. Tyrion's cunning. Um, I love season two with Tyrion and nice. his machinations. MVP. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so we get there to see our first example of Tyrion being really, really clever in this uh, particular episode as he plays Pycelle and Varys and Baelish um, <laughs> in his little game, deceiving all of them as he tells of his plans to marry Marcella off and to each different person, Pycelle, Varys, and Baelish, he tells them a different location where he's planning to marry Marcella off to. So smart. Yeah, brilliant. Like, absolutely brilliant. Um, so he tells Pycelle he's marrying Marcella off to Dorne, tells Varys he's planning to marry Marcella off to Pike, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> like, what? You have to know that Varys is like, okay, you're you're just totally shitting me at yeah, this point. Yeah, this yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, he did, he did give some fairly good logic to back it up. Like, oh, well, maybe, you know, we can get... Pike on our side, and then Balon can convince Theon to turn against the the king in the north, Rob, and we can eat them from the inside alive. And so, I mean, it's fairly convincing. But right off the bat, Varys has got to be like bullshit. I have it written in my notes. <laughs> LMAO, no way Varys buys this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that he tells Baelish that. Sorry, uh, I'm just imagining Varys like in his robes, going L R F L T O. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, so then he tells Baelish that he's planning on marrying Marcella to Robin Aaron, which is also laughable considering, as Baelish points out, that Liza Aaron just had Tyrion uh, imprisoned and th- tried to throw him out the moon door. Um, but Tyrion has a great response to this where he says, uh, for men in our position, holding grudges can be an encumbrance, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wow, actually, that's a good position. Good, uh, good point. If you know, forget about whatever problems you have with people. You can use people who can benefit you, um, no matter what. Really, uh, you got to think strategically in terms of 4D wizard chess. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so that was pretty awesome. And then he continues to sweeten the pot for Baelish because he knows he's just all about himself. He has to offer him Heron Hall and all this stuff to try to get him to uh, to go along with the plan. And I love the way that they cut between these three scenes where he's saying, and remember, you know, Cersei must not know. And it like, cuts to Baelish and he's like, Cersei must not know what? Because you think he's like concluding the conversation with right. Varys. Like, I just love the way that this scene was cut really well done. Yeah, um, it was beautiful. Yeah. So then someone squeals to Cersei and she's like, t- has a meltdown and she's screaming and freaking out about, um, Marcella being shipped away and she mentions Dorne so we know it's Pycelle that's the traitor to Tyrion and Cersei's wild man like she says uh, to him you think this you think the piece of paper father gave you keeps you safe like the one that he'll be acting as hand until Tywin returns to the city Mm -hmm. 
Ned Stark had a piece of paper too, and she like freaks out at that moment and smashes a vase or a glass or something. And Tyrion's explaining to her like, "Listen, the North is coming down on us. You know, the the, the Stormlands are coming up at us. Like everybody is coming at us. Um, you think Marcella's going to be safe in King's Landing if the city gets sacked?" bitch her head will be on a spike next to yours you know and yeah totally and cersei's kind of realizing that he's right although begrudgingly uh she doesn't want to admit Tyrion's right about anything uh let Ever. alone something that would involve sending her precious children away from her um and as horrible as cersei is we know that she does love her children and um also, as horrible as she is, she does have a cute little loving nickname for kids, um, and especially Sansa, which she calls her Little Dove. Mm. I think that's a great little nickname. Um, kudos to George R. R. Martin for elegant language use in this whole epic. So uh, Tyrion learns learns that Pycelle is the uh, is the traitor, and then he's accosted by Littlefinger, who's pissed at the fake offer for Heron Hall. And eventually, Littlefinger is given Heron Hall, right? So that's kind of funny. Um, that's that, true. You know that it's kind of te- he's teased with it here, and then eventually um, he's given given uh, Heron Hall in exchange for marrying Lysa or something. I don't remember exactly what it is. <laughs> Studio edit. I just wanted to research this uh, briefly, and I found out that Littlefinger, it, later this season, he travels to Heron Hall to propose an alliance between House Lannister and House Tyrell to Tywin Lannister. Uh, Littlefinger is successful in negotiating with the Tyrells, and the Allied forces arrive in time to claim victory at the Battle of the Blackwater. So, because of that, Littlefinger is elevated to Lord of Heron Hall in uh, reward for brokering the alliance. And after he's made Lord of Harrenhal, he's then essentially eligible or at the level of being eligible to uh, marry Liza Aaron. So that's how that ends up happening. And now back to your show. But he ends up with Harrenhal, so that's pretty cool, although he never ends up sitting there. Um, well, Harrenhal is cursed. Everybody right. knows that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Kristen. Awesome. Um, so you brought, up, you, you brought up Littlefinger. Did you notice that... Um, this is the first time I noticed this, that Littlefinger and Baelish are two different voices. Oh, no, I never, I've never noticed that. I have so, heard people talking about um, his accent before and complaining that it's inconsistent. So maybe that's an explanation for that, that he is a different voice for Littlefinger and for Baelish. the first time I've ever noticed it. And we actually stopped it, rewound it, and watched it again. And basically, as Baelish, he's very clear. He's very you know, small council-ish, right? He's, he's, um, talks in that high, uh, higher, um, throat type of voice. But when he goes in the little finger, that's when we get the voice. Yes. Slow and raspy. Yes. Right. That's but awesome. it's funny because it happens here because right when he goes into like his little finger cloak where it's almost, I, I'm what I would love to ask Aiden Gillian if this was on purpose, because, you know, in the last half of Littlefinger's arc, right, which ended in this last episode in season seven, um, he's still doing that 
that low throaty little finger voice. And then at the very end, you know, when he's just him and he's begging about for his to be life, killed. he's not throaty. Right. He's back to Baelish. In that yeah, moment. He's you're Baelish totally right. Begging for his life. So it's just interesting to me that I don't know if it was an actor choice. I don't know if it I was bet it an was. accident. I bet but it was a choice. It's fantastic. Yes. That's so cool. I've never heard anybody uh, mention that before. That's a really good, good pull. Good, uh, good pick up on that. Wow. That's great. But yeah, I, uh, I encourage people to um, watch that scene and look for it. It's about 70% Baelish and then the last 30% is Littlefinger. And you really get an idea of what and who uh, this character is. That's great. Awesome. I love that scene too. Uh, Tyrion is so smug when Littlefinger is like telling him, you know, you lied about this. And he's like, oh. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and then it's like, and you lied about Heron Hall too, didn't you? And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, sorry he's again. Like, yeah, I did. <laughs> Tyrion is so fucking great. As a professional liar, Baelish, you should have caught it. <laughs> right, and I actually uh, mentioned that too. The, after their first conversation, when um, when Tyrion's talking about marrying Merce, marrying Marcella away, Tyrion leaves the room and leaves. Um, Peter Baelish standing there and the camera sort of goes close up to him and you can see like a a puzzled sort of look on Baelish's face and I think he's realizing that Tyrion at, in that moment that Tyrion is a wild card and that he didn't see this coming and Baelish prides himself on being able to see everybody's options and moves beforehand and I think this caught him by surprise um, in nul- multiple times you know the whole idea of Marcella mm-hmm. going and then being tricked by Tyrion being part of a deception to weed out the traitors, you know, I think that he was repeatedly caught off guard by Tyrion here, which is, is says something about Tyrion's capability as a strategist and um, as a, you know, someone, a trickster. Uh, were you going to say well, something? He also just kind of dropped into King's Landing without Boom. any circumstance or, you know, I mean, everybody right. was surprised to see him. Everybody knows of him, but nobody really knows him or what he's capable of. Uh, and Baelish is somebody who he knows Ned Stark very well because of Catelyn. He knew John Aaron very well because of Lysa. So he was able to kind of be a puppeteer for the two of them for the past hands. Right. Um, and this, this you're right. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It, he's a wild card and he's coming in and Baelish is having to play catch up instead of playing chess. Yeah. Right? And considering... Um how close Baelish has been to Cersei for so long and how inept and wrong about Tyrion Cersei is. Um, Baelish is probably completely unprepared through gossip to deal with who Tyrion actually is. He's probably gotten the wrong impression about him from mm-hmm. Cersei talking shit about him all the time, I bet. Ugh, such mean girl mentality. Yeah. Um, so the Tyrion and Littlefinger have that conversation and then <laughs> Tyr- Bronn comes in and t- it turns out that he's located Pycelle. <laughs> so Tyrion goes up to deal with Pycelle and, um, Oh wait, there was one thing here that, uh, Tyrion, when he's meeting with Littlefinger, he says he wants him to be the next, the centerpiece of his ne- next deception. And he wants him to play cat to get her to release Jamie. And that works. That ends up working. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was worthy of mentioning too, that wow, Tyrion is like super pro at this. It's crazy. Well, he He's always said, I know people. I don't know war. I don't know how to rule. I know people and I know how people are, you know, and, and that's a constant throughout the series. He does know people and right. that's why he's such an effective hand. 
Yeah, he, I mean, he frees himself from slavery, essentially, by knowing people are from being killed. Uh, he preserves his life and uh, Jorah's when they're taken captive and works his that. way He's up like, to Queen's like, you can't, you can't cut off my cock, man. You yeah. can't, okay? It's the same size as everybody else's. It'll be a dwarf-sized cock. Think again. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so, yeah, he finally goes in and gets Pycelle and rounds him up and... And he threatens to cut his man off, manhood off and feed it to the goats. Feed it to the goats. Which is a great Shaga <laughs> uh, reference there as he has one of the mountain men helping him out. And, uh, He's like, there's no goats here. We'll make do with whatever you can find, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. So then he decides instead to cut off Pycelle's beard, which is a huge blow to Pycelle. Um, it's described more in the significance of it is more described in the books. Um, but like he's he has this flowing mane of a beard, which is just like like majestic. It's described as being just incredible, like one of the greatest Merlin's beards. Beard. Yeah, and um, at this point he's so old that he can't really grow it very well. So Tyrion cuts it off, and it's like this lifetime effort of that's been put into this magical, like wondrous beard is cut off at that moment, and uh, it's like Pycelle is disarmed almost essentially, and then he never he never like has the capability to grow it back in the same thickness so it, it sort of like straggles from there on out and it never was what it like once was you know what i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. again which is i think he has a short beard the rest of the series yeah he just can't grow up back uh yeah it's pretty it sucks to be Pycelle. Tyrion like really well, hit him where it hurts sucks. there yeah <laughs> yeah he earned it and then uh Tyrion ends up paying the horror for her troubles um which is hilarious is that a golden dragon that he puts down there and then two golden dragons well yeah because um it it said i i read somewhere where uh Tyrion she had to deal with him how, how hard he he how spry he really was and was like you know what i'm going to give you one more <laughs> <laughs> yeah for having to deal with, with nasty old spry myself so gross. It's brutal. He's so gross. <laughs> yeah, Julian Glover does a great job with him, uh, for sure. So yeah, that was great. I, I thought it was awesome how Tyrion pays her a couple golden dragons, which like really hooks her up there. Um, mm-hmm. Then um, just to c- talk a little bit more about Tyrion's, Tyrion, if you want, um, he meets with Varys, and it turns out that he has helped him relocate Shay. So, like you had said, they are, like, really working together, and he didn't want to mess with Tyrion. Um, turns out that they're working together and trust each other, and they seem to be on the same page, so good call on that. And, um... Yeah, it's interesting. Varys has a line where he says, should I be worried to Tyrion? And, you know, the small council grows smaller every day, um, which is pretty funny. And I... Did you... Is is his power riddle in your number f- in your top five? Is what is Tyr- uh, Varys's riddle in your no, top five? No, because I am with Tyrion. I don't like riddles. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I've decided I don't. I don't like riddles. I decided I don't like riddles. But yeah, it's a great riddle. Um, you know the there's the rich a man. Sellsword. The rich man wins in this, right? Um. Well, I think the rich man in this case wins, but. Furies sums it all up by by saying power resides where men believe it resides. It's a trick, a shadow on the wall, and a very small man can cast a very large shadow. shadow. And the shadow on the wall thing, again, plays into Plato's allegory of the cave, where the people in power are keeping you, um, you know, in in the certain mind state, projecting shadows on the wall to Mm -hmm. trick you into believing uh, their version of reality. And, um, yeah, it's just a very, very eloquent 
statement by various that plays into um, the reality of power, I believe. Yeah, you know what? I'm looking at my notes and I actually I wrote down the entire thing. Nice. Yeah, word for yeah. word. I really did like it, though. Um, you know, it, it makes a good point about power and about where it is and who has it. And Yeah. And just what, you know, it's all about projecting an illusion of power, essentially, um, making yourself it, seem more powerful than you are or whatever mm-hmm. is, you know, whatever your item you're using as uh, to convey the power, essentially. Yeah, well, it's another um, example of this whole theme of power anyways. Um, I think it it was uh, Cersei and Baelish who were talking, and Cersei was demonstrating what power was in her world, right. in her mind. And her, right? her is power is power. And actually, oh, this is great. I just realized, too, um, the, the sellsword is deciding who has the power, the king, the priest, or the rich man, right? So the mm-hmm. king represents... Um, represents force right the priest represents religion and the rich man represents money and as i've discussed in detail on these podcasts before there are three forms of conquest there's conquest by military force in this case represented by the king there's conquest by religion in this case represented by the priest and there's conquest by economics in this case, represented by the rich man. Right. And I've stated repeatedly that the most insidious and effective form of conquest is via um, economics through uh, inflating currencies and manipulating a central currency through um, through fiat, essentially. Cash is king. Yeah, so the, the rich guy ended up winning this this uh, riddle, I think. Um, but, but only because he can buy off the sellsword. Right, exactly. Um, but it... it the, my my theory takes it to a whole nother level where the rich guy always wins uh, or the the money always wins essentially but yeah i just thought that's pretty cool those are the three forms of conquest right there in the, inside this riddle so there's a lot of elements of um philosophy and and stuff like <laughs> like encoded yeah. into this scene and this and this uh this this riddle it's pretty amazing actually i feel like you and i could go off on a tangent on this riddle for the next hour yeah at least at least <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. because I, I feel i because you're like i i could go on another level and i'm like so could i okay we should wrap this up <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah whole another level um yeah so, so that was your number four yep that's my number four that's awesome. Thanks. How about you? Well, since we're talking about that, Tyrion's trust game was my number one. Okay. But, um, awesome. One of my points, since we're still on that subject, was Pycelle. Um, and I don't know what I don't know what it is, but for some reason, this was the first time that I caught Pycelle's revelation in his, you know, bumbling stuff. I never like to hear him talk. So when he's talking, it's like glass, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm, you know, taking notes for the podcast. You know, I'm listening the like to Pycelle when he speaks, which I hate, but I'm listening. <laughs> and um, the things that Kirsten does for you guys, listeners. Yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> he he says that he knew um, the truth about Cersei, and he's like, I kept Cersei's secrets. He he knew about the incest with Cersei, oh, and he's snap. keeping that secret. Whoa! What? Snap! I just I didn't I didn't even catch that. 
Right. So he's saying he's loyal to the Lannisters. And with John Aaron, John Aaron knew about Cersei and her secrets. And I kept those secrets. And so oh, we had to get rid of John man. Aaron. I'm thinking to myself, holy shit. Right. Pycelle knew, knows about this huge secret. How the hell does this guy know? That's amazing. Yeah. Sorry, I'm screaming right no, now. No, that was, that was <laughs> amazing. And wow. so... So he says he's loyal to Lannisters, but Tywin doesn't know this secret. Pycelle knows something that not even Tywin Lannister knows. Right, because Tyrion says, like, you killed uh, John Aaron. He's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, well, you let him die, uh, and you didn't nurse him back to health. You let him succumb, and he's like, I, I did what I did for the Lannisters. So he essentially admits in that moment, because yes. Because he knew the Queen's secrets. Right, that's amazing. And so is he loyal to the Lannisters or is he loyal to Cersei? And putting that because in perspective too, now um, when when um, Ned was looking for the the, in, the ancestry book, Pycelle is like trying he to sort of discourage him. He knew what he was looking him. for. Yeah, he's discouraging him from saying it. Oh, mm-hmm. ponderous tome, you wouldn't be interested. And whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. It was. It's like this, if you're not paying attention... You're totally missing this. It's it's like when um when Sam and Gilly are reading the book and Gilly's like, "Hey, did right. how do you say Aegon Targaryen?" And you know, like, "What?" That's so funny. This is how do you say annulment? And you're like, "What? What? 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 Wait. Hang on. Yeah. What just happened?" In this scene, I think we're just so distracted by how awesome Tyrion is that like we're not even paying attention to to Pycelle's responses because Tyrion's accusations are just like so on point. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're just like, "Oh, damn." And we totally missed the response. At least that's like the way that it was for me, I think. Yeah, I this was I mean, I've seen this episode now 5 times. And and my fifth time, which is when I watched it last night, was the first time that I I actually said, holy shit, Pycelle knows this? Yeah, good catch. And my husband next to me, he looked at me and as I'm writing it down, he goes, did you just hear that? And I'm like, yes. Oh, my gosh. You heard it, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, yeah, that was uh, I guess we'll call that my number what number are we on? Four? Three? That was four, yeah. Okay. Okay, so my number three is Arya and the list concept. Yes. Um, so, which is pretty epic. So Arya is awake as the other other people that are heading north for the Night's Watch are all sleeping, and she's polishing needle, and Yorin comes in to hang out. And, uh, you know, that's cool, because Yorin's the man, so, like, it's got to be fun. Um, so he's, he's like, oh, you should be sleeping, you know, and she's like, I can't sleep. So being like the cool ass dude that he is, he offers her a drink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, and she's like, I don't like the way it tastes, you know, like a little kid would say. Like, you're a man now. <laughs> you're a man now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, so he's like, kind of chuckles about that. He's like, you don't drink it for the taste, little one, you know, which is funny. And, uh. So they go on to talk about, you know, how Yorin sleeps. She's asking him, like, you've seen horrible shit. Look at you. You're rugged. You must have seen horrible shit. Like, how do you sleep? He basically tells um, tells her that, like, he, he somehow manages to sleep. And she talks about how every time she closes her eyes, she sees all those dudes, sta- like Sansa and the king and Cersei standing up on the podium as they're about to kill Ned. 
mm-hmm. and he talks about his brother, which I mentioned earlier. And so he he tells her about how this guy that he would think of when he closed his eyes, which was the guy who killed his brother, Willem, and he saw him stabbed to death on his doorstep, and Willem ran off. And so every time he closed his eyes, he would he he would see Willem's face, and uh, he can't even remember the way his his brother's face looked, which reminded me of how Robert King Robert couldn't remember how Lyanna looked, but he could remember Rhaegar, you know. And so much like it Robert, happens. yeah, much like Robert, um, Yorin can't remember the way his brother looks, but he remembers this fucking guy Willem with his blue eyes and his his dimpled chin and his mm-hmm. white teeth, you know. And, um, like, all the girls like this guy kind of guy. And so one day, uh, like, it, it got to the point where he would say his name every night before he went to sleep. Willem, 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 like, almost like a prayer. And Arya's mm-hmm. eyes light up, you know, in that moment. And um, one day he says, Willem came back into town, and this is so badass. And I buried an axe so deep in Willem's skull that they had to bury him with it, you know. So awesome yep and then he steals his horse <laughs> it says Willem's horse got him to the wall <laughs> and he's been wearing black ever since and so that's a great story and it uh gives us the idea of of praying to the god of death almost um to take these people these awful people um which he did for Willem 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 and eventually he was reunited after nights countless nights of prayer <laughs> essentially with Willem he he called out to the universe, and the universe delivered. And he, he willed it to happen. He willed it to happen, and he finally got to bury his axe into Willem's skull. And so Arya, and this is like the last conversation that Yorin and Arya ever have. Essentially, um, mm. you know, they have a little moment where they're one on one talking with each other about deep ass shit, right before the alarm bells go off and the shit hits the fan, and Yorin is killed. So this last conversation, which is an important conversation, sticks with Arya, and she remembers the idea of of saying the, these bad people's names before bed, as she probably thinks about Yorin in the days to come. As you know, as after he's lost, he's such a powerful and influential figure for Arya, someone who cared for her and took you know, whisked her away to safety when nobody else was knew who she was or was willing to help. And um, he obviously had a huge effect on her. And this is where the list comes from. Every day, every night before sleeping, you know, from now on. The Tickler, Polliver, The Mountain, The Hound, Joffrey, Cersei. She goes with her list and she, Marin Trant, you know, and it's it's a huge thing. And it, it sort of, it it really contributes to the development of Arya's character and who she becomes and what her goals are and what she decides to to devote her time towards um so it's a really important moment and um we can't really understate the significance of Yorin in the story uh, overall I would say of Arya I agree I actually had that as one of my notes um with Yorin in respect to Arya with um you know her development as well you know when you get and you look at Arya as a whole, you know, Sirio starts her off with, you know, the beginnings of, of her sword play, of her dancing, right? And right. what do you say to the what do you say to the god of death? Not today, right? And then she, it's like 
she she passes that level and she goes to level two and level two is urine right right it's <laughs> not like here's the revenge and here's what i did and let me tell you this story and as you're saying duncan a minute ago you know she's now praying to the god of death first she was saying no no god of death and now she's praying to the god of death right. you know let yeah, me kill wild. these people right and so next on her list is going to ultimately be going to bravos and and um well, next on our list will be Jockin and, and seeing how that saying the names really plays out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You say three names to this strange man that you saved. Just, right. Right. She you know, could have used names from her list there and she didn't also. And she, well, she didn't believe it. Right. I mean, who believes that crap? Right. <laughs> At first. And, yeah. Um, and so, you know, so now she's going to level three, right? Now she's actually talking to the god of death. So first she's saying not today. Then she's saying, oh, now I pray to him. And now she's saying, now she's actually like making shit happen. Right. right? Yeah. If not talking to the god of death directly, talking to a conduit for sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. And then she learns how to become the god of death. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Right? Basically. <laughs> Everybody needs a jockin in their lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So it's so cool that, you know, they're like this episode with Yorn, like you're saying, this is a very significant moment in Arya's story. Yeah. Both Arya and Theon have really significant moments this episode for their I development. Agree. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty I wild. Agree. I love this episode. Yeah, me too. Really good episode. So she puts herself in the crosshairs at this point to save Gendry, like we said, as she um, claims, falsely claims that Lamy was Gendry and points out how much he loved that helm, that bull's head helm, which mm -hmm. is the one defining characteristic that the Kingsguard, or not the Kingsguard, the gold cloaks have to search for Gendry is that he had this right. helm. And just instinct must have led her to use that, um, which is really great. Lamy was an idiot he would have been terrible at the, <laughs> the night's watch oh he would have been Ooh, my knee is hurt you're you'll just have to carry me guy who just killed everybody right and we get some great moments here uh foreshadowing the future with aria um Poliver takes takes a needle then uh sa says to her as she as he does it what does he say um i wrote I'm it down pick oh, my teeth with it. what do we have here that's a fine little blade. Maybe I'll pick my teeth with it, which is, is exactly what she says to him when he, she takes her blade back. Mm -hmm. And then when when he Poliver finds Lamy, he says, something wrong with your leg, boy? Can you walk? And again, she says that exact thing to to Poliver right before she stabs him through the throat like like he stabbed Lamy through the throat. What a dick, man. Too. He even takes Lamy's hand like he's about to help him up and then stabs him through the throat, uses his grip as leverage. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, but kind of awesome. Yeah, totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so fucked up. And Yorin, like I said, we would mention Yorin in the future too. He does not back down at all. Like he's so badass. He is like bronze, like um, spiritual twin in this moment. Uh, in the name of Joffrey, in the name of King Joffrey, Joffrey, uh, drop your weapons. He's like, I don't think I will. You know, <laughs> just like Bronn would do with the same type of like swagger looking back and forth sizing everybody up and uh yep. immediately the guy crossbows him i'm like fuck like he's like oh i always hated crossbows takes too long to reload as he <laughs> kills the shooter 
slices his throat with his sword. He took out five guys before they killed him. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. I was I was like voraciously typing at my keyboard so I didn't see this full scene uh um like how many guys he took out. Five guys? Wow, that's awesome. Five guys, yeah. Yeah, and uh eventually he's surrounded and just butchered uh in a horrible fashion. And uh, I loved how his he's such a strong character and he's such a strong person that they chose to have his body uh, stay upright, kneeling on his knees. He didn't even he never even fell in death. He stayed standing tall and strong. And um, I love that. Yeah. And eventually the guy on the horseback knocks his body over. But like he could his strength shined through even in death, which was which was amazing. Nice. Um, yeah, so that was cool. That pretty much sums up my number three is Arya and the list and Yorin and just how badass he was. So awesome. Ugh, so awesome. Yeah. What do you um, got next? Well, let's see. I have, well, this is, I guess this is my number one because we've talked about my other my other points along the way. Okay, cool. Um, But Perfect. it's the women of Westeros. Yay. Um. You know, that fits in with my number two, which is the introduction of Brienne. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, Perfect. I had Brienne, and then I had this whole, I just had this whole epiphany uh, during this episode and, and during my preparation this week. And, you know, there's a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of just awful, awful, awful things that happen to women in this series and um, objectification and rape and um, just brutalization in general. Yeah. Just in general, it's, you know, it, it's easy to, to get hung up on the mistreatment of women. In this and I series, feel like I know what you're going to say that it's balanced out by really awesome, strong women. So much more almost than it's, it's the, the respect given to the strong women in this uh, show is very much highlighted in this episode, but it also gives you, if you've seen the whole series as we have, you know, you watch an episode like this and you're reminded of the fact that, you know what, there are some bad ass women in this show. And I I just, I I was able to really kind of dig into it a little bit. So that's great. um, with Brienne, you know, we are introduced to this character, Brienne, right? Who we don't know as a woman. All we know is that she just took down the Knight of Flowers, right? Who who bested um, the mountain in in, in Rob, combat, in yeah, the in, hands the, in the jousting tournament, right? Yeah. So we know whoever this is is amazing. It's a big, mean monster who can whoop on anybody. Right. And, you know, the 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 helm is removed and you see that it's a woman. Right. Brienne, the beauty. Brienne, the beauty, as as um, Loras actually says uh, right. in this episode. Great. Um, and so this is somebody who, again, we've talked we talked about this a little earlier. She has had to prove herself by being better. And right. it's such a metaphor for women in general, I think, that, you know, Personally, I am a big sports fan. I'm a huge sports fan. And I have talked to men in my past where they don't believe me. They just think because I'm a girl, I couldn't possibly know anything about sports. And so in conversation, they try to trip me up or they try to make me look like an idiot. And then I'm like, are you are you stupid? Or do you want to try and make me look stupid? And then they realize that. So but because of that, 
I feel like I've had to know more because oh, of so the potential of a conversation like that. And so I feel like, you know, I can very much identify with somebody like Brienne or Yara, right? Who they have to be better because if they're not better, they're nothing and they're disregarded. And so because of that, we get these great characters like Brienne. Brienne is better because she has had to be better. Yep. Yara is better because she has had to be better. And, and, you know, it, it kind of paves the way for characters like Arya. Arya is amazing. She's a warrior. We know this about or her. Even, even Catelyn, too. She's super strong in this episode as well. Right. She's And she's on my list as well, right? So we also have the beginnings and of uh, Sansa, who is, she's playing a party line right now just to get through the day. Right. She's showing her strength by showing her quietness. So there's quiet strength as well. Yeah, and she plays that part really well there too. And she with that with those lines that she it spits there. I can't wait to marry my beloved Joffrey. Blah, In the light blah, blah, of the blah. seven. <laughs> and you see Cersei. Cersei's looking at her, and I feel like in that one Cersei moment, knows. Cersei felt bad. Yeah, she could see the pain and the uh, you know like the everything in Sansa's face for just that one moment. And yeah, that's a, that's a good call. I wrote that down too. That Cersei noticed at that moment with Yara. I did some research on the Greyjoys. The girls are not drowned in infancy like the boys are. Really? The boys are drowned and brought back to life. Girls are not. So because of that, Yara was never drowned. She was never considered to even be worthy of that. So she's had to work really hard to prove herself. And she's gotten to the point that she has all these men that look to her for leadership with 30 ships. Yeah. 30 Greyjoy ships. That is a huge deal. Um, yeah, big deal. So you have Yara with that. And then even though she's not in the episode, you have Daenerys. And Daenerys is somebody who now is leading a Kalasar. And nobody is giving her the time of day. They think they, they want to chop off her blood riders' heads and feed it to her because they underestimate her. Right. Or even Cersei, who has seemingly dispatched every enemy in her pathway to this at this point. So Cersei is my outlier on this one. While she's very strong with everything that she's overcome, all of it has been self-preservation. She doesn't really have a code of honor unless right. it serves her. Right. And while she is strong, she's insane. She's crazy. And oh, so yeah. she has this strength through insanity. And... And because of that, she is the wild card of the women of Westeros, right? She, yeah. I just had a funny thought, like Hodor uh, with Cersei. It's like, crazy, 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 curses, 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 Cersei, Cersei. Oh, I love that. Look at you, buddy. Cersei, curses, Cersei, Cersei. That's so funny. Um, And then lastly, you know, you have Marjorie. And Marjorie really, you kind of get... I mean, this Marjorie's first episode and, you know, Marjorie is very lucky. Natalie Dormer was so lucky to get this introductory episode of this character who yeah. almost has like a full arc in this one episode, you know? Yeah. She looks like she's just this woman that is blindly married to this very gay man who in the books has a rainbow guard. Yeah, the rainbow a, guard. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so funny. I and, forgot about um, that. And so... When she comes in and she's like, do you want me to go get my brother? She's not saying it to hurt him. She's saying it because 
she's like, listen, we have to make a baby. I don't care how it happens. Yeah, because she's too legit to quit. Right. And then when she learns that she's going to marry Joffrey, she's the same way. She's like, hey, Sansa, let's let's I need to be your best friend because I need to know what I'm getting into. And when she gets to Tom and she she figures out how to play him. So (laughs) she's oh, my God, she's so funny. She's like. She's like, it has to happen, you know. Uh, what's it? Uh, um, Loris can wind the crank and I'll make the drive. You know, <laughs> like whatever. Right, exactly. She's like, listen, I don't care. I don't care. Listen, if he can, you can, he can you be can doing pretend stuff. I'm him. You can be doing stuff to him and I'll just make a baby, all right? I just need everything to work out the way that it works out. So She's super, super badass. This like, idea of these women that, even though we see a lot of awful, there is so much strength and so much honor and so much respect that's given to these really strong women in this world. And I really appreciate it as a woman, you know, as somebody who has had to overcome, you know, large and insignificant, you know, hurdles. Yeah. I just appreciate it very much. Definitely. I have written down here that like in the scene when Marjorie's, telling um telling Renly like listen you don't save your lives for court you know you're gonna need them um Mm -hmm. we need honesty here I'm trying to help um she lays out like what the lay of the land is and why this needs to happen and the political implications and I have written down like wow Marjorie is a player of the game like Mm -hmm. she really understands the situation how to manipulate things um, like, you know, the only way like like she needs that baby in her belly, you know, she says. And um, I just just very impressed with her. And I've written down that she's a gem and could be like an extreme asset. Um, and she's her really and Tyrion gorgeous. Would have too. been good together. Wow. Yeah. 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 Yes, it would have been really good. Natalie together. Dormer is pro- is perfect. Yeah. She's beautiful. I think that now that you say it, I think Tyrion and Natalie Dormer may have been the ultimate power couple of Westeros. Potential power couple. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I can't totally. think of anything else that would compare. I mean, aside from Danny and John, which is the only competing couple potentially. Um Yeah, with the dragons at least. Without the dragons, they you know, who knows what the score would be. Well, yeah, and dire wolves. the cognitive capabilities of combined forces of uh, Tyrion and Marjorie would be pretty fearsome. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's wild. How about you? What's your next point? My next point is the introduction of Brienne, which is awesome. Um, we see Brienne who's just whooping on on <laughs> on uh, Loras at the first scene there and they're both in just gorgeous armor um i took note of both of their armors like brand's helm is really cool looking loris's mm-hmm. armor looks almost like blackened with age or like uh, tarnished like it was like ancient armor almost um really fantastic looking armor for both of them also renly's armor looked really cool the way he had like the golden breastplate and like a uh, like a, a a cape sort of draped under one half and sort of over the other half of the breastplate looked really cool. He's a stylish gent, you know, as we know. Uh, and then, so 
yeah, Brienne pulls off the helm and he, he's like, he's like, stand and and remove your helm. And the crowd is shocked as we <laughs> as we find out that this beast is a woman who's just trounced one of the like one of the greatest swordsmen in Westeros. And what kind of weapon was <laughs> was uh, Loras using there? It was like a big log with a like a blunt uh, ball on the end or something like a spiked ball. It's a weird weapon. Do you oh, you that? know what? I didn't even notice that. I guess I thought. Did I think it was an axe? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I don't, maybe I'll, I'll have to go look, like back and look at it. Maybe some kind of like hammer or like s- stick with a spiked ball or something on the end. But he's like <laughs> swinging it around. It's really funny. Um, and as she just totally knocks him down and rips his his uh, face shield up and pulls her dagger out. And he's like, I yield, <laughs> I yield. She's just overpowered. He's like, all right, jeez, God. <laughs> so the Lady Stark arrives, and um, Renly swears that the Lannisters will answer for Ned's murder, which I thought was interesting. And um, Catelyn has a really good line here, which shows her strength, too, where Loras is kind of picking at Rob and taunting him and asking if he's gone to bite, if he's tried to ride on Tywin yet. And Cat um, says, "My son is fighting a war, not playing at one." I you know, love a, that line. I wrote that line. one down as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good one. Um, so Brienne, you know, obviously asks to be elevated to Renly's Kingsguard, and it's like it's like a Godfather type scene where it's like, "On this, the day of my granddaughter's wedding, <laughs> you can ask me any favor, and if it's in my power, you know, it'll make it happen for you." And uh, he's like, for whatever, like the honor of this tournament or whatever, he's like, you know, anything in my power, I'll make it happen if you ask. And she's like, I want to be on your king's guard and pledge myself to you and to keep you safe no matter what. And he's like, fuck yeah, she's total badass. He's like, sure. Yeah, done. Like immediately. Um, another pro- progressive leader. Yeah, he's jelly. Hashtag jelly. You know. <laughs> Right, <laughs> that's what uh, Renly tells him too. He's like, "You're just jealous," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, he is." Like, all right, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's our other progressive leader um, putting a, a woman in a position of power. Um, Renly with his his female Kingsguard, which is pretty badass, and then um, so deserving. Yeah, and she immediately steps into the role as she's like accosting uh, Lady Cat about her courtesies, you know, like that's your grace, you know, or like whatever she says to him, and, and he's like, relax, Brienne, <laughs> you know, like, it's okay, she's Lady Catelyn, we, we like her, you know, no need to, like, be disrespectful. And, uh, and later she's like, I'll die for him if I have to. I'm like, whoa, how have we already gotten to this point, Brienne? Like, yeah. slow your roll. Do we, I get it. Are we told <laughs> about uh, the significance of Renly to Brienne's history and her past in the TV no, show? No, this was actually one of my questions. It was, why is Brienne so loyal to Renly? Do you like, not remember from the books either? I don't. I guess I don't. Oh, excellent. Well, I will uh, enlighten you and our audience then, because uh, it's a fun, I'm very excited fun about little this. story. You're welcome, audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Brienne is called the beauty, right? And it's sort of mocking because she's not pretty. Yes, I do. Now I remember. Um, right. Okay. So <laughs> there, there's... I'm cool. I remember. I'm cool. 
yeah, so you can help me help me with this. Then she, there's something happening, and they're having guests on Tarth um, to visit Lloyd, her Lord Father, and um, Renly is one of the guests, and she's all nervous because she's supposed to like dance with him or whatever. Um, and every- it's for Brienne to find a husband, I think, because she hasn't found a husband yet, and I right. think that he arranged like a party for all of the for eligible men a- or something. Yeah, and everybody's messing with Brienne. Like they're all trying to get, they're trying to steal her maidenhead. It becomes a competition essentially, where these guys are being dicks to her and giving her false compliments and dancing with her to try to like, um, you know, just try to use her. Their, and she was slow to, to realize game. it. Yeah, and she didn't realize it. But Renly was, on this occasion, I don't think that was the same occasion as the Renly incident, but Renly shows up, and he's very respectful to Brienne and treats her very nicely and dances with her and makes her feel like she's beautiful and legitimately made her feel good and was a good person. And there was no hidden motives with Renly. He was just a good guy, you know, and he treated Brienne the way that she deserves to be treated. And after having been treated badly by so other, so many other men in her life who taunt her with, um, like the way Jamie treats her in the, you know, in their little journey, um, she, she appreciates Renly for the kindness that he gave her, even though he's gay, you know, and she knows there's no future together, but she just like feels like she owes him basically, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like the man to her, like she idolizes him. Um, so she's like all about like when he, when this guy who treated her really well becomes king, you know, uh, in his own right, and she has an opportunity, having become a, a, a brutal warrior herself, to serve him and to pay him back for treating her as she deserved to be treated. Like, she jumps on the opportunity to uh, be a part of his king's guard, and uh, it, it's awesome. It's too bad that it plays out the way it does, you know? Uh, yeah, because it would have been nice. Yeah, and she would have been able to protect him if it wasn't, like, a fucking demonic, dark magic shadow baby. You know what I mean? A blood magic shadow baby. With Stannis's face on it. Yeah. So, yeah, but... Um, she ends up, I, and I think that right off the bat, Catelyn has a, a respect for Brienne for obvious reasons, you know, that she's a strong woman, which is awesome, that, um, you know, she has her strength, and Catelyn has her womanly strength, as Brienne says it in a future episode or whatever, but I think that Brienne sort of reminds um, Catelyn of Arya, you know, as she tells her in this episode, I'm no lady, uh, and that's the way Arya is. Catelyn right? liked that, right? Yeah, yeah. So she sort of like sees Arya and like and sees Brienne as like everything Arya would ever imagine or dream of being is what Brienne is, right? Mm-hmm. So she obviously has to realize this, this, and has an innate respect for Brienne right off the bat. I'm sure, even though they're on sort of opposing um, sides of this this conflict at this point, uh, but it's pretty cool, like just seeing them paired together and imagining what how Cat uh, would react to Brienne having Arya as a daughter herself and whatnot. So I thought that was pretty cool. That wraps up my number two. Um, should I just jump right into my number one? Yeah, because mine was Tyrion's uh, trust game. All right. So my number one um, relates to my usual uh, top five featurette, which is the looming threat of the the White Walkers. But in this case, it's John realizing that he actually just saw a White Walker. Mm-hmm. So which is awesome. Craster, Craster crashes into his keep and flings down John. Everybody out, and he's all pissed. And Mormont's like, "Wait outside, John." And he's like, 
Lord Commander. And he's like, just go, you know, and goes outside. And um, he he tells Lord Commander Mormont that, you know, Crash was killing the boys, that I followed him and he's, and he's killing him. And, Crash, and he realizes that Mormont knew, like we said, Mormont's like, listen, listen, dude, like the wildlings serve crueler gods than you or I. And the boys are Craster's offerings. So he like legit knows in full detail what's going on here. Like, I'm pretty sure that Mormont knows that they're they're white walkers that they're that he's making the offerings to. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is fucking crazy. So, um, you know, John's like, what the fuck you knew? And he basically points out that like we have a, like a bigger war to fight, you know, and like it or not, we need guys like Craster um, because they'll help, they help us stay alive. Like it's come down to life or death, life, uh, death or Craster, you know, on, a, on various occasions with the Night's Watch. And it's a uh, terrible decision. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because in the, in the moment it makes sense. Like we need guys like that, obviously. But at the same time, if there were no guys like that, there would be no guys giving babies to the White Walkers. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? To replenish the White Walker army. Right, exactly. So All you're doing is strengthening the other side. It's dude. a double-edged sword, yeah. He helped us survive, but he also helped the White Walkers survive, which is fucked up. Um, so in this moment, you know, he tells him, like it or not, we need men like Craster. And John's like has a moment where things are sort of hitting him as he sits in silence there, and he's like, I saw it. I saw whatever it was that took the baby. And uh, he's realizing, like, something is out there, you know, and Mormont tells him, whatever you saw, I dare say you'll see it again. You know, <laughs> which is a super Truer ominous... Words never spoken. <laughs> yeah, super <laughs> ominous moment, and it's just really cool that, like I said last week, or one of these weeks, that Jon Snow is our first, like, main character who sees a White Walker... Uh, which is hardcore, super badass. So, uh, you know, whatever you saw, I dare say you'll see it again. Ready the horses, we leave in the morning. And uh, he hands John back the uh, the sword, long claw, and says, don't lose it again. Yeah, really. And re- I, I, I don't even think Mormont realizes how valuable that sword is yeah. when it comes to those White Walkers. Yeah, and to see the sword intentionally juxtaposed with the White Walker, making each of them significant, um, to the plot in that moment, um, mm-hmm. both when Longclaw is taken and John sees the White Walker, and as he's talking about the White Walker and is given back Longclaw, and um, yeah, they're both being significant together, which insinuates that they are related in some way, uh, which is cool. Which we learn that they are in Hard Home. Yeah, that's really good. Good noticing uh, there. Good job. Good observation. Anything uh, in your notes you want to talk about? Um. What about Sam and his mother's thimble? I, it's funny that you say that because I was just about to say Sam. Nice. Um, and really, it's it's really about Sam's bravery. Um, you know, he's called a coward so many times, but he's talking to Gilly. He's touching her. He's giving her a gift. These are things that and not he has only been that. warned of death. Right, yeah, warned of death. And not only did he do that and go that far, but he tells her... I'm not giving it away. I'm giving it to you. Keep it safe for me until I come back. Like right. he has plans to come back for her. Right. Um, you know, at that moment, I realized this watch through, he already has plans to come back and save her, uh, which is wild. <laughs> and he's right. And he's just, I, I think that that's a, you know, there's being 
a brave warrior, but there's also Sam who's like, I'm going to do what's right. What's and right. I don't care what it costs. Me. Right. And the, yeah. And, and whatever he feels is the right thing to do. And it's our first sign signal also that he is a serial, like just like violator of rules. <laughs> like he doesn't give <laughs> right. a fuck ever. He, he steals the family sword. You know, he has sex even though he's a sworn brother. Um, he steals his, <laughs> his wildling wife, um, even though he's not even supposed to talk to her, you know, yeah, constantly, he's yeah. just habitually breaking rules. And, and last week you were talking about, you know, how John took Ygritte, right? Um, yeah. And Ygritte. Ha- yeah. And he said, what are you just going to steal her about, about, uh, Gilly? And yeah, he's going right. to steal her. And, and he does steal her. So it is his wildling wife. And it's just, um, everything that he has done has been for Gilly that has been brazen or even on the edge of irresponsible. He does yeah, it because he knows it's strength. right for her. Yeah, she really empowers him big time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's wonderful for him. Yeah. Um. Also, the we didn't talk about um, Mr. There's, Lewin. There's really, and yeah, that's Bran. next for me too. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff we really didn't talk about yet. Yeah, and one of them is it's funny because they're talking about. Um, Bran and his dreams and how he thinks they're true and Master uh, Maester Lewin is like this is my Valerian steel uh, link and I'm so thinking to myself melt it down bitch melt it down make it a spear <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself oh he's using his degree to claim that he knows everything just like people like modern scholars and in, in establishment academia that when you right. when you say something that doesn't fit the grain they're like well i have a phd in this like i've but you think to yourself you didn't okay so you got that link but like you didn't learn anything right but you but know? then for, to his credit and I'm, I'm i'm i was like immediately when he started saying well look at my valyrian steel lake you know i've studied the occult knowledge and the mysteries of magic and but then he does go on to say that he tried all these studies and, you know, tried the magic stuff and it just never worked for him or for a thousand people before him. Well, but then he says, right. But then he says, you know, magic was a mighty force, but the dragons are gone. The giants are dead and the children of the forest are forgotten. Right. All three of those things are false. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny too. the, 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 the maesters and the citadels, I really feel represent like establishment academia. Um, and they've, they have an, had an active role in suppressing, um, knowledge and, and influence in, in the elimination of magic as they have apparently worked to, uh, to kill the dragons in the past. There's a, a theory of maesters being involved with a conspiracy to kill the dragons, um, and eliminate magic. And I feel like that there's a, it's it's a there's a good parallel between, like I've said, academia in the real world with this suppressing knowledge and history and pushing a dogma on the on the on um, in the textbooks and stuff that isn't necessarily accurate. And um, you know the maesters are wrong about everything here. Just like yeah, uh, you know, just like much the textbooks. everybody's wrong about everything. Yeah, just like the textbooks were wrong about Columbus discovering the Americas. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. Well, everything's wrong. Yeah. History is wrong. That's <laughs> that's a good history book. History is wrong. By uh, Eric Von Daniken. He said to the history major. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we'd have some good conversations. I bet we'll we'll have to we'll have to talk behind the scenes about a lot of stuff. One day. Yeah. With many beers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. I I. Uh, I really enjoyed that whole scene. Um, what else you got in your notes? Anything? 
those are really, um, as far as my notes go, we've pretty much touched on everything else. How about you? Uh, let's see. I thought Yara had a really funny line. Theon's like, I'm to, I'm to fight fishermen? And she's like, watch out for their nets. Ooh. You know, <laughs> I that's, did like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty, long, pretty funny line. Um, pretty much covers it. Shay is really inept. She like She's like, what are you afraid oh, your father will hear me? He's 300 miles away. You know, yelling and Tyrion's like, he's got spies everywhere, bitch. There's spies everywhere. You're completely and the dumber, the dumber she is, the like she keeps telling Tyrion, oh, I'm so stupid. And I'm sitting, yeah, you're really dumb, <laughs> yeah. actually. I have, like <laughs> right after she said that, I have written down, Shay doesn't get it. No. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> so funny. And uh, I liked her scene with Sansa as well when she has no idea how to be a handmaiden. And she's lucky that it's Sansa because anybody else would like fire her and like turn her in basically as an imposter probably. Mm -hmm. But Sansa is like, I thought um, Sophie Turner had a really strong performance here uh, as she's just super stressed out, like cracking. You know, the cracks are showing everywhere as she's like shaking and on the verge of tears, freaking out about. (laughs) <laughs> about you know what I did yeah this. I wrote that down I put that Sansa has nowhere to put her anger and her grief so she just gives it all to Shay and yeah. Shay takes it yeah Shay doesn't want to be found out Sansa doesn't know how how to be a person right now or who to be where and when and I think that both of them um with the duality of what they're trying to accomplish yeah really good uh, to it, be it around fits each other. very well yeah their, their dynamic. We got Varys helping Tyrion, and that turned into like a good duo. And the help that Varys gives Tyrion by putting Shay with Sansa creates another really good duo by providing a strong female influence for Sansa. Um, you know, like um, there's occasions where Shay will tell Sansa to hide, and she has a knife on her leg, you know, and pulls it out, and she's like, nobody's going to hurt me, you know, and just mm-hmm. another good influence for Sansa to be around um, in terms of being a strong woman. Um, so that yeah, that ends up working out really well, too. Uh, pretty good, good noticing that, too. I agree. I agree with you. All right, stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. back with news about game of thrones so our first item is an article by hello giggles which i have never heard of that's funny and it is um entitled hbo probably just confirmed game of thrones isn't coming back till 2019 after months of speculation it appears hbo has finally confirmed our dreaded news Game of Thrones will return for its final season in 2019. This shouldn't, the news shouldn't be too much of a shock, as Sophie Turner confirmed the date last week. Liam Cunningham alluded to it a few months ago, and even HBO programming president Casey Bloys couldn't promise a 2018 return date during the TCA press tour over the summer. But let's face it, there was definitely a small part of us that still hoped for a 2018 return. So now we must come to terms with the fact that we have at least another year most likely a year and then some before Game of Thrones comes back into our lives. But HBO did break the news in the best way possible. No, Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark didn't take us out for drinks before sharing the heartbreaking news, and <laughs> Cunningham didn't set us down with a cup of tea. 
And while we wish Joe Dempsey broke the news by likening the absence of Game of Thrones to that time Gendry rode away for a little while, HBO's method was definitely up there. HBO released a preview of what's returning and premiering on the premium cable channel in 2018, and as you can see, Game of Thrones is nowhere to be found. But while our beloved Game of Thrones has rode away for a year and change, HBO is giving us a hell of a consolation prize through a lot of incredible programming in 2018. The trailer features glimpses of a... Uh, uh, of hot new series Succession, Here and Now, Barry, an original film Paterno, and documentaries on Andre the Giant, Arthur Miller, and Elvis Presley. It also highlights the return of HBO favorites like Insecure, Crashing, Divorce, Ballers, Last Week Tonight, and Westworld, which returns for season two more than a year after its groundbreaking first season. The company also teased two of the most highly anticipated events of 2018, HBO original film Fahrenheit 451. What? What? Yeah, I'm looking forward I to that. I love that book. Yeah, I had to. I, this is gonna be. This is gonna sound fucked up, kind of. I had to read that in high school. Um, so instead of reading it, I just sat in my car drinking vodka and listening to the audiobook. In high school. Yeah, that was cool. It's a really good book. <laughs> and now, it's a great book. Yeah, and now I listen to the Game of Thrones audiobooks. So I guess that was preparing me for foreshadowing. That. Although I don't drink uh, while I'm listening to them now. <laughs> I'm just not much of a drinker anymore. But um, Jean-Marc Vallée's uh, limited series Sharp Objects, um, based on the novel by Gillen Flynn, is another of the two most highly anticipated events of 2018 for HBO. There are no words. Well, we only get one shot of Michael B. Jordan, Guy Montag, and Michael Shannon, Captain Beatty. It's all we need to know that Fahrenheit 451 is going to be an epic adaptation of the Ray Bradbury novel. Yeah, Can't that's wait. really Can't wait. exciting. Can't wait. Really exciting. Um, meanwhile, Sharp Objects has arrived to fill the big little lies void in our lives. Amy Adams is gracing the small screen alongside Patricia Clarkson and Elizabeth Perkins in this eight-episode drama about a journalist returning to her small town to report on a series of murders. While we're devastated that Game of Thrones won't be back in 2018, we're so glad HBO is providing us with some incredible programming to ease the pain. And, Kristen, this makes me think that, you know, since... We're going to wrap up our series rewatch probably like, oh, I don't know, around next December or something like that. Maybe shortly into 2019, whenever uh, I haven't counted the number of episodes to when it exactly comes out to. Mm-hmm. But um, if we end up having time in between our rewatch and the premiering of 2019, we could cover some other Game of Thrones related stuff like the Dunkin' Egg novellas or stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Let's to. do that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, or Kit Harrington's new show that's going on a limited run uh, this month. Yeah, Gunsmoke. Or, no, no, what's it called? Um, I think that's right. Whatever it is, yeah, we're definitely going to cover that too. <laughs> whatever it's called, it sounds amazing because yeah. Kit Harrington's in it. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover, um, we'll you know cover episode of that too. I'm really happy that they're taking their time. I I am not upset about it. I don't. Think Neither that am it's I. I'm not a at problem. All. Same with George. I'm like, get it just right. Rolling with it. Yeah, yeah, get it get right. Get it right and give us something that, you know, we'll go you have some hardcore fans. Yeah, and this is, it's bigger than, you know, even, like, the fans at this moment. It, this is something that's going to be, like, going down in, in the annals of history, so they need to make sure they nail it, you know? I totally agree. This totally is, this agree. This is, like, a milestone um, of literature and entertainment history, I I believe, Uh playing a bigger role than people even realize at this time. Um, but yeah, so that, that's the first item. You're so our next item is another article by Hello Giggles. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the Last Jedi films some scenes in King's Landing, what? and our favorite worlds are colliding. Today in OMG News, your favorite alternate realities are colliding. It turns out that Star Wars The Last Jedi filmed some scenes in King's Landing, and we are not equipped to handle this level of excitement on a Monday. In a Westeros far, far away. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But you read that right. The Last Jedi filmed some scenes in an iconic location from HBO's Game of Thrones. The latest entry in the Star Wars franchise will introduce new audiences to new places. It will introduce audiences. Hold on, before you continue reading, you're you're you haven't read anything or watched anything about this. Nothing. So if you don't want to read any further and spoil yourself, that's completely fine. I can read the rest. Read anymore. I can read the rest of the article and come back in like thirty-five seconds. You're amazing. All right. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Among these places is a casino city of Canto Bight, which Nerdist excitedly pointed out is not unlike the castles in King's Landing. Director Rian Johnson even confirmed that the whole high walls surrounding an opulent city thing was directly lifted from Dubrovnik, Croatia, which is literally where HBO film where, where HBO films its King's Landing scenes in Game of Thrones. So basically, Dubrovnik's coastline is the nerd paradise of the future. That's fucking epic. Um, And while it's not like um, The Last Jedi borrowed costumes or sets or anything from Game of Thrones, a brand new location was modeled after one of its most recognizable filming locations. There's no way this was an accident, right? Bless you, Rian Johnson. The Last Jedi and Game of Thrones news is just too wild to comprehend in a good way. Can you imagine Jon Snow fighting White Walkers with a lightsaber? (laughs) Or how terrifying it would be if Cersei Lannister could use the Force? Honestly, (laughs) fan fiction doesn't get this good. Well, actually, it totally does. But this is real. This happened. It's like the greatest, dorkiest Easter egg of all time. What's next? Rey shows up on Canto Bite in the TARDIS? Just in the TARDIS? Just kidding. Totally just kidding. Okay. Our next item is an article by TV Guide. Sean Bean's The Frankenstein Chronicles is coming to Netflix. What? That'll be awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I just had to let that sink in for a second. I love Netflix. Yeah. After dying so memorably and unexpectedly in the first season of Game of Thrones, sorry, spoiler, (laughs) <laughs> Sean Bean is coming <laughs> season two. Yeah, season yeah. Sean Bean is coming back to the small screen in a series where he keeps his head and other people are the ones being decapitated and dismembered. Thank you very much. According <laughs> to a report from Variety, Netflix has nabbed the US distribution rights for Bean's The Frankenstein Chronicles, a UK produced drama that reimagines Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as a supernatural crime drama. The series has been well received in the UK, so Netflix might have another hit on its hands. Set in 1830s London, Bean plays John Marlett, a war veteran and river policeman who's thrown into the supernatural world after taking on the case of a corpse uh, of a corpse made up of body parts from different children. Soon John Marlett mm. discovers the horrific crime is entangled in a web of demonic forces and powerful figures in the political establishment. The date for the Frankenstein Chronicles arrival on the streaming service has not yet been announced. But Netflix's deal for the series includes the possibility of producing additional seasons if the show performs well. That's really that exciting. Dark. Yeah, and I, our listener, Katrina Pedigo, is going to be really excited about that. I know she's a huge Frankenstein fan. So, yeah. 
Katrina, I bet you'll be stoked for that. I'll watch it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to check that out. It sounds epic. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's it for news. We'll be right back with the Ravens calls. The rooster raven. This is Anthony. What's going on? Damn microphones. Uh, just want to call in and say, Duncan, your impressions are great. Do more Beavis and Butthead. Uh, and I also just wanted to say that, you know, with all these other great shows coming back, like The Walking Dead, Stranger Things and stuff, like, yeah, whatever. Those shows are great and all, but whenever I see game microphones pop up in my podcast feed, all I can think of is, Thrones, yeah! Game of Thrones, yeah! Game of Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, yeah! Game of Thrones, yeah! Game of Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, Game of fucking Thrones, yeah! Game of fucking Thrones. Oh man, this shit just gives me so fucking hyped. Okay, well, can't wait to hear the next episode. Okay, bye. Thanks for the message, dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anthony is like the kind of listener that we like. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Anthony is cool. <laughs> Anthony rocks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for calling, dude. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you, Anthony, for the awesome message. I guess I'll start this one, too, since uh, since I'm just starting everything today. It's nice. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Matthew Rep says, R.I.P. Lamy. Yeah. Fuck Salami, bro. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your feedback. Uh, Karen Farr says, you guys are amazing. Love that Kristen is now on every week. Aw, thanks, Karen. Yeah. Just finished last week's episode. I forgot how much I love Aria and Gendry. Hoping for a reunion in season eight. Fingers crossed. Yes. Emoji. (laughs) Um, Dave Halberg says, just a few thoughts about what is dead may never die. Jor Mormont is a big picture kind of guy. Dealing with the devil he knows to help keep his men safe. Isn't that the truth? It turns out old Nan was pretty knowledgeable about the world around her. Everyone scoffed at all the old stories she used to tell the Stark kids, but her tales are factual. People warging into animals, the children of the forest, the others, and the White Walkers. Old Nan was a truth teller. That's a great point, and um, I agree. Pretty much everything that old Nan said... Um, aside from the world being uh, inside the eye of a giant, I think. Uh, pretty much everything else she said has been spot on. And, I agree. Yeah, there's a couple characters like that in the uh, in the the story overall. There's old Nan, who's really spot on about a lot of stuff. And there's also... Um, Osha. Osha, true. And there's... What's the the old... Um, Barth. Septon Barth. That's who it is. And he, uh, he wrote, like, Unnatural History, I think, and other... Various other... Westerosi publications, but everything that this guy says has been a hundred percent spot on. Like everything that he says. And a lot of what he says is scoffed at by other scholars and maesters in the story. Um, so if you, if you, 
if you decide to join us in the the epic journey of reading the audio, reading the books or listening to the audiobooks over the the long night before season eight comes out, pay attention anytime you hear Septon Barth mentioned because odds are it's something important and odds are it's true. Um, <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and if you do want audiobooks, I can still send free audiobooks to everybody. Unfortunately, at this point, um, the the first book in the series, A Game of Thrones, is no longer available to give as a gift, probably because I gave away too many of of it, and they want to, they want the uh, the later books to be given away, so people have to buy the first book, I imagine. But at least I can still give you one of the books for free, right? You know that makes sense since we're in season two. We are now on Clash Kings, so yeah, yep, totally makes sense that you. That's the book you give out now. Yeah, although I can also give out uh, three, four, and five as well, or uh, Duncan Egg novellas or. History of the World of Ice History and Fire. Of yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, there. That's that's uh, Dave's feedback there. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate Thanks, you Dave. writing in every week. Uh, Carolyn Grenier, Grenier or Grenier? Good Caroline. question. I would say Grenier, um, and okay. I do believe she lives in uh, in French Canada in Quebec. Okay. Um, on first watch, I didn't realize what Tyrion was making. On second watch, when I understood that he was giving a different name of a future husband for Marcella to different people, I thought that that was very intelligent of him to find out who was telling everything to his sister. Loved it. Yes. Such a brilliant method, you know, have a different per- leak different information to different people. So when it comes to the surface, you can tell which one told what. You <laughs> know, mm-hmm. That's brilliant. So we have um, we were talking we were talking about the religious symbology and occult symbolism and stuff in the TV show over the past couple of weeks, and you posted an awesome video which I haven't gotten a chance to watch yet, but I'm sure it's awesome. Where you posted an, a great video that um, it explains all of the religions in Westeros um, and and what exactly they are um, to help the viewer kind of understand what exactly everybody was. Um, was talking about when they talked about the seven or the old gods or, um, uh, R'hllor and the Lord of light. So it's just everything. And it was, um, made actually in season two. So it is everything that has been introduced up until season two, which is very helpful when we have our discussions right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Perfect timing. Um, so you posted the video on our Facebook page and our listener, uh, lady Alicia responded saying thank you so much for posting this video Kristen this helps explain so much I never really understood all the religions and what they represent and like you I didn't catch the burning of the seven idols on the beach in the season two premiere until this recent watch Germ has a genius <laughs> mind and it amazes me how he came up with this whole uh, GOT story or Grim as you would say right Grim Grim we'll He's say Grim. Grim yeah <laughs> um, yeah I agree uh Lady Alicia, I'm going to have to watch this video to learn everything that you guys know at this point. Um, but yeah, it sounds really cool. So I'm looking looking forward to checking that out. Yeah, it's explained actually by George R.R. R. Martin. Oh, that's great. Yeah, which oh, is why I loved it because it came from, you know, our, the our God of Westeros. Yeah, <laughs> right from the source, right from the tap. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's just next level. Uh, yeah, he's totally next level. 
Lara Willie Swink says, as someone who studied medieval art history in college, I definitely enjoy this video and Martin's referencing of real life medieval views on religion, informing and guiding the religions of a song and ice of fire. The children of the forest religious inclination seems to be similar to those of the Gaelic and and Anglican. Anglican, thank you, natives and druids who worshipped nature and its non-human entities, the little folk. Yes, and the there's faith- uh, there's similar little folk in uh, Hawaii, in Hawaiian religion as well. Um, I can't remember what they're called, but I remember learning something about these little, like, creatures that, like, little, like, tiny people that live in the forest. It's interesting. So I looked it up because I love you guys and not many people know about this and it's really cool. But in Hawaiian mythology, these little tiny people called the Menehune are said to be um, little dwarf-sized people who live deep in the forests and hidden valleys of the Hawaiian islands, far from the eyes of normal humans. They're said to have lived in Hawaii before settlers arrived from Polynesia many centuries ago and um, are rumored to be a tiny pygmy race of people. But it's uh, spelled M-E-N-E-H-U-N-E, if anybody's interested in looking into that. The faith of the seven seems to stem from classical polytheistic religions, such as Greek and Norse gods, and the Lord of Light aligns with the world of Judeo-Christian and Islamic monotheism. Of the three big faiths in Westeros, I think I'd have to sign up for the old gods. It seems the most benign at this point, not requiring blood sacrifices or zealot warriors of the faith. Just a nice weirwood tree in the forest and your thoughts. So, zen. Yeah, zen and like living as as one with nature and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd have to uh, agree. It's the most Mm. logical um and you know, um, symbiotic, <laughs> it seems. We have an email from Archmaester Rennie, whose uh, subject line was, What is dead may never die. Well, until it does. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan and Kristen, some classic lines in this episode. They are the nights of summer and winter is coming. Oh, I meant to mention that, too. Thank you so much, Rennie, for, uh, for bringing that line up. What a great line, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, one of my favorite moments. Catelyn says it so perfectly too. Yeah, she has a couple great lines this episode, and she re- yeah she really nails that one. Um, Rennie goes on to say, and Varys's riddle about power: power resides where men believe it resides. And uh, yeah, that is a great point too. Um, I really do like that the Knights of Summer line. And she's so right too, because the the South like these guys grew up in a long summer. They have no mm-hmm. idea like how it how it gets. And yeah, it, yeah, and it's funny too because this whole army—it's it's Renly's army, thousand, hundred thousand men, right? Knights of Summer, winter's coming. Renly gets killed. These hundred thousand men end up fighting for Stannis, and he takes them up north to the winter, right? So they end up actually really do facing the winter. And um, no, that's true. They get, that's interesting. And they get slaughtered. <laughs> <laughs> right. They they were the Knights of Summer. Yeah. So um, very prophetic line um, unwittingly by Kat here as her as this summer army is destroyed in winter conditions in very brutal fashion. Uh, oh, that's a great poll, Duncan. Great job. Thanks. I, no- I, I noticed that watching the episode earlier and I totally forgot to mention it in our uh, in our breakdown. So Rennie, Archmaster Rennie. Thank you. Um she continues to say, of several great scenes in this episode, my favorite is Bran as Summer, 
walking with Hodor to Bran's room and then Bran waking up and he and Summer eyeballing each other. (laughs) It's a great visual representation of Bran's relationship with Summer. It really is. Um, I love that scene too. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the significance of Bran's warging um, and how he knows that Lewin is wrong, essentially, um, at that one scene. My other favorite is the introduction of Brienne, Loras, Marjorie, and Renly. Brienne knocks the piss out of Loras and asks <laughs> to join Renly's Kingsguard. What a great introduction of her character. And my other other favorite <laughs> is the brilliantly orchestrated scene of Tyrion's scheme to ferret out Cersei's spy. I think this is Tyrion's best season, and I'm really enjoying his scenes in these episodes. All in all, one of the best episodes of this season, I think. And the rewatch is definitely enhanced by your podcast. I'm especially enjoying what you do at the end when you enact some lines from the shows. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Archmaester Rennie. Always great to hear from you. Thanks. From Caroline Collins. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. Hello. Congrats. Hello. (laughs) Congrats, Kristen, on the permanent hosting position. Well-deserved. And I'm so excited to hear your amazing insights every week. That's very nice of you. Thank you. Uh, what an episode this week. I love to see my powerful ladies get introduced and some come into their own this week. One of my favorite lines from Brienne, I'm no lady, goes contrary to this world of lords and ladies and makes her own path despite being born into privilege. I love Brienne's arch and Gwendolyn Christie is just perfect in the role. Ugh, 100% agree with you. Yeah, so perfect. We also get to see Marjorie and Natalie Dormer's Stunning performance. Right from the beginning, she shows how clever and calculating Marjorie can be. Yes. Finally, Yara, another powerful lady, breaking the mold and already very self-aware and confident. I have to say, at first, I was not such a big fan of the Iron Islands. It's portrayed in such a cold, unforgiving place, and a lot of the characters have little charisma. I had a hard time getting behind Theon's plan to change sides, although I understand his need for his father's acceptance. It wasn't until I read The World of Ice and Fire, learning the history of the Salt Throne and how the King's Smoots worked, that I became more intrigued. I still don't like Balon Greyjoy. Who does? (laughs) But the Ironborn have grown on me. Salty old bastard. My final note is about Tyrion's awesome scene with the three wise men and their various responses. Quick note about Tyrion's choices of deception. I thought it was a coincidence that he tells Pycelle that Marcella is going to Dorne, where they specialize in poisons. Varies that she's betrothed to Theon, who will also become a eunuch. (laughs) And finally, Littlefinger, that she's going to the Vale, where Baelish will soon be acting lord. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. That's a really good catch. Littlefinger is the only one who asks for anything in return for his silence, which yep. I found very telling. <laughs> yes. I, 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 love I the, mentioned that sort of earlier, too, but I don't think I articulated it that well. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. I love the adaptation of this scene, and I'm pretty sure this is where Tyrion wins Varys over. I love Varys' line, a small man can cast a large shadow. Yes. Many interpretations to this line, which I'm sure you'll discuss as we did. Can't wait to hear it. All the best and happy holidays. Winter is here up in Boston. Oh, man. Hey, shout out to Boston. I miss Boston. Um, yeah, it, there are even more interpretations of that that line than we discussed, too. A small man can cast a large shadow. Um, 
I mean, it, it could refer to him being casting a huge, even huger shadow from the back of a dragon. You know what I mean? Mm. Like being up high, he could cast a massive shadow. Um, I mean, yeah, there's just tons of tons of ways that could be interpreted, and I'm drawing a blank right now for other ways. All That's the, okay. Uh, <laughs> our next email. This is our uh, Sir Pete's conspiracy corner. It's one of my favorite parts of listener feedback. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys. So this is Sir Pete of Longwood. Hey, guys. I read somewhere that in the the original draft, Veramir Sixskins was called Veramir Fourskins, the leader of a group of religious wildlings called the Moyles, hell-bent on circumcising the North. The helm must go uncloaked. They would cry as they raided village, villages of confused genteels, as they were called by Veramir's holy warriors. But George's editors had him rewrite the character to fit more appropriately into the narrative. Do you guys know if this is true? Yeah, it's totally true. Oh, love, love you guys. Love Sir Pete of Longwood, smoker of the dank. I, I've grown to love you, Sir Pete. Yes. Theorizer <laughs> really of the dank as well, as these theories are all super dank. Um, yeah, I'm sh- pretty sure this is totally true. Very the, sticky. The foreskins. Uh, <laughs> 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 Thanks again for writing, Sir Pete. Keep them coming, man. Yes, sir. And we have another comment from Facebook. Owen Stovall says, for starters, you see where John's nobility is, much like his father's, a detriment to others. He witnesses Craster giving over his son to the White Walker. Craster catches him. He loses Longclaw in the skirmish and gets his men kicked out of Craster's keep, a safe haven that the men of the Night's Watch depend on when going beyond the wall. We establish a basis for the relationship between Sam and Gilly. He gives her what looks like a sewing thimble that was the only thing he had of his mother's while at the wall. He says, I'm not giving it away. I'm giving it to you. Keep it safe until I come back, which means that Sam is planning on finding a way to come back and rescue her, which is ironic because he's still kind of a bitch. (laughs) We see the first references to Bran warging into summer, sniffing fresh dirt, tasting a fresh kill. He notices that his dreams do come true, even though Maester Lewin tries to convince him otherwise. Lewin also says, dragons are gone, giants are dead, and the children of the forest are forgotten. He's wrong about all of these, despite what his chains say. Bran of Tarth is a fucking beast. Fuck you, Loras. <laughs> we witness Bran of Tarth's unwavering dedication to whomever she is sworn to. Nobility has gotten some notable people killed. How will this work out for Brienne in the long run? What is dead may never die. The Greyjoy words. It makes me wonder if Theon was never really true to the words of Greyjoy. If he was raised as a Stark with Stark values... Maybe what is dead may never die is a reference to Theon's position as a Stark. He liked the Starks. He looked up to Rob and Ned. As much as he tries to deny it, the Starks were his family. I've got to go watch the new Star Wars movie. If you all need another voice on the podcast, let me know. Love listening to y'all. Thanks, Owen, for writing in. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm uh, on board with everything you're saying there, except uh, one little nitpick, which is the the Greyjoy words are actually, we do not sow, and what is dead may never die is the, uh, like, the religious motto type thing like the words of their religion but it's a virtually you know indistinguishable difference hope to hear from you again brother thanks next we have a voicemail from sarah hi guys this is sarah i just started catching up on the podcast and decided to join in with the rewatch and can i just say how much i love seeing everybody look 
so young. I think the show really, really lucked out with getting so many good actors so young that have stuck to the show and just blown our minds with their performance. So I just wanted to share my thoughts with episode four. Uh, first off, the two bromances that I love the most in this show are Bronn and Tyrion and John and Sam. And we get, they both meet up in this episode. Like we just see Bronn for a second, but it's like the beginning of a great friendship. And then my other main thing in this episode was seeing Danny stand up for herself and realize that her brother isn't, he's not the king that he thinks he should be and that she actually could be the one to rule. And it's just, there's so much to come and it's so exciting. I love listening to you guys. Can't wait to hear what you guys say about it. Thanks so much for your message, Sarah. And I apologize we didn't get the uh, the voicemail on the show sooner. Um, on time for when you sent it. But I totally agree with everything you said there and uh, hope we'll hear back from you sometime soon. Glad you're enjoying the rewatch and the podcast and thanks for sending your voicemail. Next, we have some messages from our awesome listener, Patrick. And uh, while we were solving technical difficulties with the fo- with the voicemail, we missed a bunch of voicemails. So um, Sarah's was one of those and Patrick had left us a number of them too. So I figured since we had missed so many voicemails from people and especially Patrick that he deserved to have um, a, a good chunk of them heard here. So I put together like a few of the voicemails and gave him a good chunk of time here to uh, get his thoughts out. So thanks so, so much for your patience with us, us Patrick, and um, glad that we finally got your voicemails so we can get them out there for everybody. Hello, uh, this is your friend Patrick, and I am a few episodes behind, but I, so I don't know if you can actually use this input, but... I kind of need, just need to get it off my chest. I don't know. I'm, I'm listening to, uh, your episode 50, uh, review of the pointy end. And there's just a couple things. I haven't even made it full way through. I just like, it's just going to burst through my sternum if I don't get it out of my system. Um, uh, okay. So regarding, uh, Mr. Serio Pharrell's so-called death, um, now you mentioned that he uh that we haven't seen Arya uh that his lesson about my eyes shouted the truth. Uh we haven't seen that come into play. Uh but we have. We saw it come into play immediately when he saw right through Marin Trance bullshit. Um because he was not watching, he was actually seeing. Um, so then the other thing is, what was her name? Septa Mordain, the one who offered Sansa to touch her hair and died like a true badass. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that her head was up on a pike. Um, and and I, I hadn't noticed that, but I find it interesting because do you ever see Sirio's head on a pike? Just saying. listening, buddy. Um, I mean, he he established that he wasn't just some foreign scum. He was Sirio Pharrell for Sword of Bravos, and you will be treating me with more respect. <laughs> Not only that, he also said, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. So you don't think he surrendered, ended up in the dungeon, took Jock and Hagar's face, ended up on that. You see where I'm going with this. Anyway, um... 
then the other thing that really kind of stuck uh, stood out to me uh, when you're talking about Rob coming up with his uh, deception on the fly, just kind of improving it. I think that really speaks to his nature in that he is not grounded by um, conviction. You know, some somebody like um, what's his face, Tarly Samuel's dad. He's unwavering in his <laughs> conviction, and so he would think of warfare in a conventional way, and he wouldn't be able to come up with that because he was just like, he'd be like, this is the way things are, and it's a terrible impression, but his whole decision no. that he comes up with on the fly to sacrifice the 2,000 guys in order to deceive the Lannister forces uh, is based on his lack of conviction. He's able to to he he's mercurial he's able to change his strategy quickly and that's also what leads to his death ultimately because he starts off doing one thing and then he ends up doing another he makes a promise to somebody and then is just like well actually no i found true love so i gotta go with that and that <laughs> really speaks to his nature and it's uh it's in line with the idea that all the starks named their dire wolves off uh, um, based on what their future was going to be and so gray wind it's just it's not black it's not white it's ephemeral like the wind and uh yeah i guess that that's my whole point uh so mm -hmm. thanks love the show and hello again this is patrick once again still playing catch up uh, just finished listening to the pointy end episode and i just want to warn you, do not trust that spider. <laughs> I mean it. He's talking okay, to you, Kristen. So you, you might think he's starting to show his true intentions. He never shows his true intentions. I heard you say we've never heard him lie. You heard him lie. Trust me, <laughs> you have. I, I, I don't even remember the lines, but he, he says things right to people's faces and lets you in a voice that lets you know that he doesn't mean it because he doesn't want any little birds to hear him say anything R regardless okay so so in this scene when he's talking <laughs> to ned and giving him that whole do i strike you as a hero what's he doing he's bringing him water in the dungeon okay now this seems like a noble act an act of kindness what is the first thing that Mr. Ramsey Bolton is doing when we first meet him. He's bringing Theon water in a dungeon, huh. okay? And if you think, okay, that's, you know, not really fair because we're comparing uh, nobody's as sadistic as Ramsey. Uh, let me just point out that there's an old man with a sewn shut mouth in a box in Varys' room Presumably, it's the guy who castrated him. That's what he claims. Who knows? You know what? Serial killers, a lot of them, perhaps Jack the Ripper, they, they, their dick didn't work, okay? They, they couldn't perform sexually, and so they started, uh, you know, getting off by killing people, okay? And, and speaking of Jack the Ripper, he was mad because one prostitute gave him... Uh, uh, the, 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 the syphilis, 
Yeah, so, yeah, one prostitute gives How Jack the Ripper How did we get from Varys to Jack the Ripper? <laughs> I don't know, it's pretty cool, though. He symbolically gets his revenge on just other people who remind him of the one who gets him. So, just saying, we don't even know that's the same old man, but I digress. He's bringing Ned water. What a kind guy. Now, he is manipulating. And I, Okay, so I've never heard this this uh, Blackfire theory about uh, Varys, and I, I think I love it. <laughs> but let me, let me remind it. you of why the Blackfires aren't in Westeros, because they rebelled against the Targaryens. So he's not on Daenerys' side. Varys is not a friend of Targaryens. He is a evil evil spider with a <laughs> old man in his room with his mouth sewn shut and he's bringing Ned water the same way that Ramsey brought Theon water and Blackfires are not friends of Targaryens they rebelled there's this whole enmity thing there just saying just saying alright love the show bye Cut out for hey guys it's your boy uh, Patrick I think I might go with the pseudonym Sir Hindsight because I never seem to be caught up with the uh, current episode <laughs> that you're reviewing. thought I was about three episodes behind, and I just realized I'm about like five or seven. Anyway, I wanted to talk about something really important to me, which is Harrenhal and uh, the scene where we first meet Tywin Lannister, where he's uh, taking apart the stag. Um Symbolism, by the way. But um, that scene is ridiculous because everything Tywin says is completely just ironic and foreshadowing and, you know, the ironic foreshadowing that they like to do and uh, kind of throwing bombs in your face that you don't even notice because there's something really distracting in the foreground, like a big stag being dissected by this lion of a man. <laughs> anyway... Anybody, basically, that uh, tries to um, be lord or to uh, take hold of Harrenhal, their family legacy just dies out. And uh, I think it's really just funny because Tywin announces that he's going to go and stay at Harrenhal with the troops as he's talking about you know, uh, a dynasty that could last a thousand years and all that. Brilliant point. Brilliant point. And I point. think it's really ironic. And the other thing is that if my theory is true that um, Eris is the father of Jamie and Cersei, which, God damn it, why don't more people realize that? But, um, yeah, he's also saying really juicy, <laughs> ironic things like, you're a Lannister, and talking about Tyrion and blah, blah, blah. Because Tyrion's totally his only real offspring. And anyway, so just uh, I think I think it's really interesting to to just note who uh, has hold of Harrenhal during the run of the series because we've had Tywin Lannister, we've had uh, Roose Bolton, his uh, his line is already snuffed out, and we've had. Uh, Gregor Clegane, I don't really see him as much of a Pater Fernelius. Anyway, I'm going to try and catch up what? and not leave some of the messages. I'm going to try. Oh, by the way, 
Look for clues that Shay might be a faceless man. I'm not sure about that one, but <laughs> I think it's worth A no. what? A faceless man. Uh, maybe she's oh been hired by the Iron Bank to snuff uh, out Tywin. So I like the idea that maybe she was a plant uh, by Tywin to keep an eye on Tyrion. I don't know. Uh, hey, it's your boy, Sir Patrick <laughs> of the Hindsight. Maybe I'll go with that name. I don't know. Anyway, um, I just want to talk about... Uh, in one episode where somebody mentions that, uh, Rhaegar was the finest warrior of his land, except perhaps Arthur Dane. And I just want to point out that, okay, so George R. R. Martin has stated that a, in a fight between Arthur Dane and Barristan Selmy, that Arthur Dane would win only so long as he had Dawn. Without Dawn, Barristan would win between Arthur, between the two. Or it might be a draw. So... Um, that means that Barristan is the finest warrior technically. Um, he's Batman. Um, <laughs> Dane is Superman, and if he had Kryptonite on a level playing field, um, he would be the best fighter. There's certainly um, a strong case for that, especially anyway, when you think so about Duskin the, Dane. On the 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 tournament at Harrenhal, uh, where he gave the blue rose to uh, Liana, uh, Rhaegar had just defeated. Embarrassed in in uh, combat and jousting, so that doesn't necessarily prove that he's better than Barristan for a couple of reasons, like jousting. You know, the tournament it's been discussed in the show. Um, it's not the same as actual combat, and also uh, playing at war. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. To Robert about you can't joust because nobody's going to defeat you. No, so but on the other hand, they were good friends, so. I think Barrison would have fought with all of his might. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to. I just wanted to throw that out there. I just. Um, the other thing is the painted table. Notice you never see that it's painted until season seven, and I think there is a reason for that. Uh, in the light of the fire, all you see really is just shadows and and yellow light. Oh, no, cool! You don't see the. Uh, the the parts that are below sea level that that are painted blue totally a reason for that and i think you know it's to yeah all right uh, that's a whole big can of worms that there's not room on this uh message for so i'm gonna try and hang up before it cuts me off again all right uh love the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he's like a man after your own heart he is full of conspiracy theories <laughs> yeah uh, I feel bad that we missed his messages for so long, so at least we can do is make a big compilation of his voicemails now and get it out there. Sarah Hindsight's Corner. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> yeah, I think he had some, a lot of good feedback. Yeah, I mean, I completely disagree with him about varies, like 150%. I <laughs> <Yeah. but> <laughs> <laughs> uh, I fall right in the middle. I have, I don't know where to, to lean with varies yet. Uh, he... I maintain that he has one one goal, and that is the good of the realm. I think that he's never strayed from that, really. Yeah, it's entirely possible. It's entirely but, possible. You know, on the same on the same token, that conversation that he had with Melisandre, where um, they were talking about how they had to die in Westeros, and it got really ominous, and he looked kind of scared. Yeah. Um, so maybe there, I mean, you know, it's Game of Thrones, man. There's, there's twists everywhere. And <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely true. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a Varys chapter before um, Grimm is done. Oh, that'd be crazy. I don't think we'll ever will, but that'd be awesome. I'd like to see Baelish, a chapter from Baelish when he dies. Yeah. Oh, you mean like like we get his point of view as he's being killed? Yes. Oh, that would be so freaking cool. Damn. And I guess that, at that point, it wouldn't be like he can give away too much. Right. Unless he has like some kind of thought that's just for the audience that will be played out in a different way later. Mm. I don't know. That would be cool. At this point, I just want another book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Cannot come soon enough. Um, Maybe that's why they're doing 2019 is Grimm has said, okay. I'll give you a book before the final season. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, these bastards. Toying with our hearts. I agree. <laughs> um, anything else you want to comment about Patrick's uh, message there? Patrick, you sound like you're always thinking as you're getting in and out of your car. I'd like to know if that's true. <laughs> yeah. Or standing by a walkway. I heard like a ding, <laughs> ding. Oh, maybe that was from the keys. Maybe I just like to know what, like, he's probably doing something. He's like, Fuck, I got to call. I got to call in real quick. I have something to say. It's been I in hope my he's, mind. I hope he's in a Lamborghini. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yes. Okay. Sarah Patrick of hindsight. Thoughts, <laughs> from, a, thoughts from his Lamborghini. I mean, it would make sense with a hindsight because he'd always be <laughs> seeing us in his rear view mirror. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe a De Tomaso Pantera. That'd be sweet. Oh, see, now you've gone, you've gone into a realm. I don't know much. (laughs) I figured pretty much nobody would know that car. That's why I said it. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) The hipster of cars, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. So it's cool. It is pretty cool. It's yeah. (laughs) You should look it up. I like what he said about Rob. I like what he said about. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the gray wind, um, how he's like sort of ethereal and. Yeah, that's that was cool. I like that oh, too. That's true. It doesn't bode well for John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, he's already like the ghost of himself at this point. Is he right? technically a ghost? Yeah, because he's dead. He's like he, he's like basically a ghost at this point. It's and pretty bad. Dead, and then there's undead, and does his heart still beat? And yeah, uh, can he be killed by a white? Does he have to be killed with fire? <laughs> oh my God, Dr- Danny would kill him then. Can you imagine if someone tried to kill him and it didn't work, but unless like you used fire dragon glass, dragon glass, oh my fire. God, that'd be so crazy. Maybe, yeah, maybe Danny will try to sacrifice him to forge Lightbringer, and, uh, she'll only be able to do it with like dragon fire or something. Oh my gosh. I hope that that does not happen. <laughs> He's going to die hope- though. He's not making it out of this. You know, really. Oh gosh, it hurts my heart. <laughs> There's no way that he lives. He's already dead. Like, he's just on borrowed time. There's no way that he's meant to be, like, a player, like, once the game is done, you know, that he's... There's no way. Well, knowing that, I mean, if if he is already dead, if he is already a ghost, is that can he have children? I don't know. Maybe he could be cloned. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think they have that technology. I think Kyburn could do it. If anybody could do it, it's Kyburn. Oh yeah, Kyburn's candy corner. Yeah, Kyburn could definitely do it. He's like, I, you know what? I think I think I could do it. Hang on. 
He'll just, he'll cut off John's arm and put it in a hydroponic solution and it'll just like sprout the rest of his body. <laughs> he can just Nails. keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an army of John Snow's. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. That, that's the end. And that's the end. It's Kyburn churning out a little assembly line of John Snow's. <laughs> and he cuts off he cuts off the newest Jon Snow's arm every time. Oh. So. <laughs> For a new one. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> or man, you could cut off each of his toes and then you could do it ten times as fast. Oh yeah. But then what happens if you like cut off the pinky toe and then you get like a deformed version or something? <laughs> then you gotta throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a strange conversation. Yeah, we've go, we've gone to a <laughs> different way off reservation. <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode fifty-five. Thanks for listening, everybody. Next week, we'll be covering Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 5, Garden of Bones. If you'd like to call and leave feedback, you can always reach us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3639. You can also write in or send your ravens to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. You can find us on Facebook at GOM Podcast. Same thing on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, Minds. We're also on YouTube slash Game of Microphones. We love to hear from you guys, and we uh, love to be interactive with you as well, so hopefully uh, you can find us and message us. All right, thanks for listening. I pity them. Why? Because it won't last. Because they are the nights of summer, and winter is coming. It's four. Yeah, I know. I drink. I drink a whole bottle of whiskey, and I came on the show. <laughs> Talking like this, but who really cares about it anyway? <laughs> and that's the end. It's Kyburn churning out a little assembly line of Jon Snow's, <laughs> and he cuts off. He cuts off the newest Jon Snow's arm every time. Oh. So. <laughs>